0: Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative types about how they do their thing and how they hang in there. Today my guest is a writer and director of the new movie Swan Song. Todd Stevens is on the pod. Um, his previous films include Edge of Seventeen, a gay classic which he wrote the screenplay for. David Morton directed that. And then Todd also made gypsy 83 and another gay movie and another gay sequel so you may have seen some of his work over the years his new movie is called swan song it's so beautiful i've seen it twice it moved me to tears both times Udo Kier is so good uh i hope he gets some awards love when that time of the year rolls around i hope the whole movie does but um After I saw it, I was so excited to talk to Todd about his journey. So before we get to that, though, I want to get a plug-in for my LifeCast business. That's where I interview people about their lives, like a podcast. So if you have somebody that you want to get their story down, maybe an older parent or something, uh, get a LifeCast. Or I've also been doing parties where I go there and interview people at the birthday party about the birthday person and create a podcast out of that. So you can learn about that at getalifecast.com also still hosting the virtual game nights with you don't know my life so you can learn about that at you don't know my life.com. if you want to refresh your zoom if you're still zooming or you feel like you might need to start zooming again uh that's always there for you you don't know my life all right that's enough plugs here's Todd Stevens. all right joining me via zoom it's todd stevens the writer director of the new film swan song which i loved hi todd stevens
1: hey dennis how are you good to good to see you and hear I know. you
0: we were gonna do this in person but i woke up with a head cold and i was like i don't wanna i don't wanna take any chances so yeah. you were gonna be my first in person but here we are we're zooming it it's okay
1: zoom it let's zoom, zoom, let's away. zoom it
0: zoom away uh So I've seen your film twice. I really love it so much. I love that even more the second time. I find it very moving. Um, How would you describe the synopsis to somebody that you just met?
1: Um, My turn of elevator pitch is it's about a formerly flamboyant hairdresser that escapes his nursing home and takes a long walk across a small town to style a dead woman's hair for her funeral.
0: I love it. I love it. And, and uh, Udo
1: Keir is the star who plays uh the main character's name is Mr. Pat, and that's udo and then um we have uh Jennifer Coolidge is kind of his like uh former arch nemesis and the e. harrington uh, Evans is in there, and michael yuri and it's a really amazing cast that I'm so proud of
0: um it's based on a real person um tell yeah. me about that.
1: Yeah, the real Mr. Pat was um, somebody that I started noticing when I was a little kid, you know, like going around my hometown of Sandusky, Ohio. And um, there was this, like, every once in a while, you would, like, spot, like, the peacock, you know, sort of walking around downtown. And um, I didn't quite know what to make of it as, like, a 10-year-old, but I just knew that, like, that part of him was me, you know? Wow. and And um, he he was very flamboyant and, you know, would wear like, you, know, you couldn't tell if it was a man's pantsuit or a woman's pantsuit. He had like cocktail rings on every finger, like a, a velvet fedora. And he smoked um, one of those long Brown Moore cigarettes. Right. Um, and uh, I, you know, I didn't know what queer was at the time, but he basically defined queer, you know, as I, as I learned, as I got older, um, when I when I got up the nerve to go to my small town gay bar, which is called the Universal Fruit and Nut Company.
0: That's how um, you know it should be.
1: Yes. Um, the first time I got the nerve up to go there, I opened the door and something was glittering and sparkling on the dance floor, and I turned and there was Pat, this man that I had seen, you know, since the time I was a little kid. And I felt like I had arrived, that I was home and that I had found my family, you know. So um yeah, he was really one of those small town queens that by being himself and having the courage to be himself in the 70s and come to find out even going back into the 60s as I did research on him, um, that, that you know, he's one of those people that blazed the trail and paved the way and, you know, built built the gay community in my hometown. And I really made the film like as an homage to, to him and all of the small town queens that I stand on their shoulders.
0: Did you get to know him very well when he was alive?
1: Not really. No, I kept like crossing paths with him and, you know, cause not long after I came out, I moved away to go to um, New York city. So, you know, I, I kept, you know, and then it's interesting when I wrote, um, edge of 17, my first film, I had a Mr. Pat character was written as like met my, my you know, my, my characters, cause it's my, uh, it's like an autobiographical film about my coming out. So right. I, I wrote it um, ab- about like this mentor character of Mr. Pat. Um, but we wound up cutting the character out of the film because we couldn't, we literally could not find the right actor to play him and do right. the character justice. It's so a tricky role, the tricky part to cast and, be real with it and not go too over the top, but we just couldn't find the right actor. And um, so there was a part that Leah Delaria played in the film that um, of like the boss at the amusement park. Yeah. And um, so we wound up kind of like um, upgrading Leah's part because she was so great and um, giving her all the Mr. Pat scenes. So she kind of became the mentor in the film, which was also very real because like that, you know, that, the Angie, I had this, um, Fabulous uh dyke name. I don't know, if I should say that. I'm sorry, but uh, I um but um you know, this like out loud and proud woman um that uh was my my role model. So it, so Leah played that, um, the Angie character. So, you know, I, I mean I was really disappointed because like the Mr. Pack character in Edge of 17 was one of the things that really inspired me to have the courage to kind of tell my story. Yeah. And um it got cut out. And, uh, so all of these years I've had this story in the back of my mind that I wanted to finally do ma- Mr. Pat justice.
0: So in the end credits, you say, thank you to everyone for the Pat stories. So yeah. did you go around with a recorder and say, tell me your Pat stories?
1: I did. Yeah. Cause I remembered certain things, you know, and I, and I did meet him some, but it was mostly like admiring him, you know, from afar, but yeah, I talked to his sister, Janie, who's still alive, and um, his niece, Sarah, and his nephews, um, and, you know, all of his family. I talked to, you know, a lot of Pat's friends are dead, but a lot of them died from AIDS, you know, even yeah. in a small town like Sandusky. But the ones that were left told me all kinds of amazing stories. And um, I put lots of those little details in, into the script. So. What, yeah. surprised
0: you? what surprised but, you when you went to start learning about
1: him? Um, one thing that surprised me is that it's interesting. Um, when I was doing the research on Pat originally for Edge of 17, I went to meet Pat and he had just had an aneurysm and he was like in uh, uh, intensive care, like um, uh, unconscious. So I didn't get a chance to speak to him. Oh, but wow. i hung out a lot with david his lover david and yeah. uh, in their house before it got torn down they had this like fabulous like completely over the top house with chandeliers and you know foot long shag carpet and 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 oil paintings of their poodles and all that kind of and a spiral staircase and all right. that um but um you know, David showed me a picture of Pat from 1964. It was one of those like old snapshots. that has got the like white border around it with the date on it. And Pat was sitting, um, as a woman, you know, like was sitting on a stove with her legs crossed and smoking, you know, the, the brown cigarette. And David told me that Pat like lived as a woman for like a year or two in the early sixties. Um, in my hometown. So um, I, I guess, I mean, that was even before David knew Pat. And so that's kind of like the legend and I don't even fully know if it's true, but um, I hear, heard that from several people and uh, you know, Pat was very petite, very small. And so, you know, would have completely passed. So I always kind of wondered about, you know, whether Pat was uh, transgender and um, you know, people, that I talked to said, you know, they didn't think that he was, but I always wondered about that. And certainly, um, Pat was very gender fluid before their time. That's, that's for sure. You know?
0: Yeah. Udo Kier is such inspired casting and he's so wonderful in this. I, how did he come to be your, your Mr. Pat? how did that come together?
1: Um, I originally was trying to get like, a. A-list Hollywood actor to play the part to help like, you know, raise money and all that. And um, we came close to working with a couple actors and it didn't, luckily it didn't work out. Um, but I wish that I could say that Udo was my idea, but Udo, uh, Lena Todd, who was one of my two amazing casting directors and Lena, um, had just hung out with Udo at a, at the Berlin film festival and said, uh, God, you got to think about Udo for this. You know, I think Udo's perfect. And I'm like, the German guy? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I'm like, Pat's from, the real Pat was from West Virginia. Right. The coal mining, a coal mining town, West Virginia. And Udo obviously, you know, speaks with a German accent. And um, so at first it, I was like, wow. And, you know, he always plays a villain or frequently plays villain characters and amazing, you know, um, Smaller but important roles in the films she does. So she was like, "Well, just think about it." So I really started thinking about all of Udo's films over the years, and my own private Idaho, which is like my favorite queer film, and um, you know, even going back to Andy Warhol's Frankenstein and Dracula and Sus- Suspiria, and so many films that I remember, you know, loving Udo from. And I thought about Udo's eyes and how the real Mr. Pat had these really beautiful, big blue eyes, Mm -hmm. just like very similar to Udo's. So I thought, um, you know, um, let me, let's give it a chance. And I think it was when, so we got the script to Udo and he really responded to it. He loved it. I, um, within a week or so, I hopped on a plane and flew out to visit him in, in Palm Springs. Um, and to see, you know, if we clicked, and I think it was when he opened the door and introduced me to his dog Liza Minnelli. Yeah, you know that. Uh, that, uh, that uh, <laughs> I think there's a. And I was here. like, I'm sold. You know? Yeah, we have a winner.
0: We have a winner. Stop we have a winner. Marriage.
1: Ding ding ding. Yeah. I mean, the real the real Udo is very different than, um you know, he plays in in his films. I mean, he's he's kind, he's sweet, he's warm you know he's a gardener like pat was um he loves animals like pat did and um the other thing about it Dennis is that like as time went on i really started thinking a lot about queer representation you know and this whole conversation of like you know straight actors playing gay parts and all that and i you know i don't i don't really believe in any kind of rules about that but I, but i just felt for this film the all the queer parts needed to play, be played by queer actors, you know, especially the lead role. And um, I wanted somebody that, that knew what it was like to lose people to AIDS and, and, you know, had lived the life and walked the walk. And um, I think that there's just such an authenticity that Udo brings to it that, you know, a lot of straight actors can play queer parts and it's amazing, but sometimes it can just be like a put on you know, or like over the top. And I just didn't want that. I think that since we were dealing with a flamboyant eccentric character with Mr. Pat, it could have, you know, you go one step too far whatever and it's just like over the top or doesn't feel real or natural. So, um, yeah. So, so when we met and hung out, like I, I knew he was instantly, you know, I knew he was the one and, um, he he was really involved in helping getting the film made because we it was a hard movie to to get money for you know just like it always is you right. know but um but you know people it's like about this marginalized character first of all just making films about senior citizen protagonists are is a challenge money wise yes. in general let alone you know uh you know faded flamboyant you know uh, queer character hairdresser like at the end of their life in a nursing home so, you know which he where it's where he is starting out at the beginning of the film so um we had to do it like very grassroots style and did a kickstarter campaign and um Udo was kind enough to invite me back to his home he lives in this like converted mid-century modern library that's like full of amazing art and you know, mid-century modern furniture. It's kind of like a museum. That and um, awesome. he he um, let, let me shoot this uh, uh, Kickstarter video in his house with him. And, you know, we looked in the camera and said, you know, please give us money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, that's really what helped get the movie financed. Uh, so he's really, and by the time we shot the film, a year after we had met, we were friends, you know? And, um, I think that that, and we still are I mean, we talk on the phone almost every day, and uh I think that that relationship and that trust you know and that year long conversation we had about Swansong and Mr. Pat is really what contributed to what I think uh, is just such a incredible performance that udo gives in the film
0: uh, the friends that I were watching that I watched the movie with the other night, we just talked about how you let it breathe like and you let him you he's just fascinating to watch did you have this moment when you were directing when you're like I could just put the camera on him and what he does in other words it's going to affect the rhythm of the film like yeah that's something you experienced because I experienced that watching it like he's just fascinating
1: yeah it's almost like we tweaked the tempo of the film to Udo you know because of what you just said I mean I also, I think there was a bit more dialogue and longer speeches that I had originally written and stuff like that. And when doing a deep dive into Udo's films, realizing that he says so much without saying a word, you know, and um, and let's just kind of like slow it down, take our time and just let Udo, you know, be Udo or, you know, yeah. do his thing. And... um yeah. I mean, it, and it did, it did mean, I wanted it to be one of those films though, that took its time, you know, that there was just like, maybe even took a tangent or two or, you know, on, on a journey and that that's kind of how life is, you know, and it was nice to slow it down a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, my friends and I really appreciated that about the movie. Um, Sandusky is your hometown. How many movies have you made there?
1: This is sure? my third one.
0: Um, I come from a small town in Arizona and I think I always had that daydream of going and making a movie there, but you've you've done it. Is it meaningful? Does it move you to do that?
1: Yeah. And yeah. Apart I mean, from
0: the story and you know the world, but is it fun to bring something glamorous to your hometown or to, we're going to put on a show, kids? Like, what's that like?
1: It's really a dream. It's really like a dream come true. You know, you're, you're sitting there shooting scenes on, in locations that you grew up in, you know, as a little kid, then you've, that you may be as a queer kid in a town like that, that, that was pretty conservative back then, you know, and walking down the street, the same street where maybe somebody called you a fag or whatever. And now you're like on that same street shooting a scene, you know, with Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. Um, it It's like a dream come true, but, uh, You know, that my town has really transformed their attitudes about um, gay, you know, life and um, LGBTQ plus, you know, uh, issues over the years. When I first went back there to do Edge of Seventeen, it was a totally different story. That was like 20 years ago. Right. And um, we actually made the decision... know i was like back home kind of i had moved off to new york city and was like away for 10 years and then came back home to make this movie and um even my own parents asked me not to tell people what the movie was about that it was a gay story you know and um and we decided to kind of we made like a production decision to create like a fake script and you know, I remember on my PowerBook 180 laptop, you know, like selecting the word Rod and change all to Rhonda and printing out a fake script, you know what I mean? And um, yes. and, and it, it was like, it was actually pretty soul crushing, you know? I mean, that's a whole other story, which I'm totally happy to talk about. But um, it was really tough, you know, remembering how homophobic and racist, um, you know, people not everyone, but a lot of people were still, were at that time still. And um, and making
0: making a movie is such an industrial thing to do. And you need the locations to, there's so many pieces that have to fall into place that if you get one person going, I read the script, you can't shoot here. Like I understand that instinct of like, let's not make any waves that we don't have.
1: right, Right. Right. Because you're right. You need so much help from the community, especially when it's like a, you don't have money to throw at everything, you know, you um so you need locations and extras and and um borrowed props and costumes and all that stuff. And um yeah, um David Morton and I, who I did the film with, um who I know you know, yeah. yeah. Like yes. d- David, um d- we decided to we made that decision. And um it was hard, you know. It's like here I was like in my hometown making a film that was all about like affirming who I was as a gay man. And yet I was going back into the closet, you know, 13 years after I came out of it. So it it was tough for me, but, you know, um, fast forward 20 years later, when I went home to make Swan Song and I arrived there in the middle of the third annual gay pride film festival downtown, which was like, you know, giant tents and celebrations and everybody was dancing and my friend um jim Abergafall, who uh the supreme court case oh you know, yeah um, of course uh, that is the reason we're all like able to get married he he, Hi. jim actually grew up on central Ave on my same street like a block away from me and we went to the same school and he was there and it was like wow you know um Times have changed, you know, and, you know, there's pride flags waving in Sandusky all over town, not just on pride all the time. And, and, you know, this time around we were welcomed with open arms and everyone knew that, you know, the lead character was a uh, gay man and people remembered Mr. Pat because he was really beloved in the community. And it's like, Oh, my aunt Phyllis used to go to him. My mother went to Pat. You know, so it it just showed me. And so everybody like helped out so much. I mean, people donated spare bedrooms for Udo and me and all my casting crew to stay in because we didn't have money for hotels. It was really low budget. And um, it was like it's like the the community really uh, pitched in and wrapped their arms around us. And there's no way we could have made the film without them and it just just showed me like just looking at my hometown as a barometer you know of, of in, a, in a way fairly short amount of time you know 20 years that that you could just feel that the attitudes had completely shifted and that that is the biggest thing that I think of when I think about going home and shooting there it's just how here's a place I always felt like I didn't fit in and like a place that I just wanted to run away from as fast as I can, could. Yeah. And now um, I feel like I'm almost drawn back home, you know? And um, and and that's that's really wild and beautiful.
0: I think it's interesting. What does it say about you that I think a lot of gay people would grow up somewhere and maybe they got bullied or whatever. And they'd be like, I don't want to go back there, let alone make three movies there. What is it about you that like didn't let Sandusky fade to the back
1: i think part of it was that there was this gay community there that i feel like saved my life and that you know that i that i loved, that i loved and still felt very connected to um and you know it's just like where a lot of us come from it's like we all many of us can relate to like having love-hate relationships with our hometown I mean, right I also grew up on Lake Erie and the water and like, you know, downtown It's beautiful. Like it's an actual beautiful place. There's this amusement park called Cedar Point, which is the best amusement park in the world. And I'm like a roller coaster nut. And so like I'm very I was always interested in the history of my hometown, even when I was like a little gay boy, like going to the local museum downtown and all the old ladies like telling me stories about the town and stuff like that i just always like loved it you know that's why in a way it kind of broke my heart when when i would get bullied and stuff and there would yeah. be a like, hard hard times. so um because i always like ha- i always loved it too so yeah there's a special spirit about that little town um it, it's you know it's in the Rust belt, and it, you know we used to have the ford plant, the g m plant, the Chrysler plant, and like you know it's very um auto manufacturing based factory jobs and stuff, and all of that is like went away, yeah, and so the the town got like um forgotten and just really kind of got busted you know for a while and um but it's interesting a lot of other people who grew up there, moved off to big cities and learned things and, you know, became, you know, tours or whatever. And then they, and then a lot of them in recent years have come back home and sort of taken the skills that they learned uh, away and brought them back home and, and opened, you know, they're basically revitalizing the town. And um, that, that also was a big interest in just a big uh, influence on like writing the story. Right. This dead thing that starts off dead inside and sort of slowly reawakens and comes back to life. You know, that's my hometown. And that that's what I wanted to do with Mr. Pat. And that's in a way was me, too. Yes. <laughs> you know, like that, that because um I hadn't made a movie in like 12 years before this. Yeah. And uh and so. I, I mean, I have a good life. I, I, I married to the same amazing man for, well, we haven't been married this long, but we've been together for, 30, I can't even count anymore, 37 years or something. I don't oh know, it's crazy. Oh my God, yeah,
0: that's yeah, amazing.
1: I know, I know. Yeah, we met at the Fruit and Nut Company in my hometown.
0: Holy smokes. You know,
1: what do you yeah. do when
0: you're not making movies?
1: What's that? What do you do when you're not making movies? Um, after I made my last film, uh, we, I started teaching and I became a film professor at School of Visual Arts. And so I still do that and I love that. And it's made me a better filmmaker. A lot of my students were involved in the making of the film, you know? I
0: love that.
1: Yeah, yeah. One of the yeah. things that we I- built relate- the house, you know, that kind of thing.
0: I love it. One of the things that I related to it is this feeling of, oh, I've been put out to pasture. And I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, because before it happens, when you're younger, you think, oh, that's not going to be me. I'm going to stay involved. I'm going to be young. I'm going to keep up. I'm going to do it. Guess what? You don't get a vote. It just happens. And, and so that idea of, no, I've still got something to offer. I've still got something to bring. And I'm going to get a rascal scooter if I have to, to do what I have to do. And I, so I, that was really moving to me. Like, don't give up on your dreams of expressing yourself in a certain way. And, and like you said, this is your first film in, t- in 12 years. So there is that feeling of like, I can still do this, but how hard was that to go those years? Did you, did you believe it was going to
1: happen? Hmm. I mean, kind of part, part, I, I wa I wanted to hope that it would happen, but in a way I thought that it never would. <laughs> right. And, um, and, and, um, yeah, kind of the story about that is like you know my first two movies that I set there, my hometown, you know, were like Edge of Seventeen and my second movie Gypsy Eighty Three were these like very heartfelt, you know, personal stories where I, you know, that in a way, in a lot of ways, I was writing about myself, you know, whether it was directly or indirectly. And um, this weird thing happened with you know Edge of Seventeen. David and I made that movie, and it's like we we didn't even really know what we were doing in a way i mean you know we we just um we didn't have any expectations we we just like set out to make the film and we didn't know a lot about film festivals and you know what i mean it's like we just didn't have any expectations so then it got into you know outfest and Frameline and started winning awards and then it got into sundance and picked up and you know it it was like wow you know it, it it did way better than i think we could have ever dreamed um but then so then i made my second film Gypsy 83 and i think i probably had now i had like these similar (laughs) expectations for how i hoped it would go right and um it didn't go that way it was like um it was a film about a relationship between a straight woman and a and a gay man but who were best friends but had this like intimate um relationship, you know, not not involving sex, but just this. Like, I was trying to explore like intimacy and friendship and love between a straight woman and a gay man. And right. um when um when it came time to when finish that movie and try to get it distributed and stuff, like distributors would say things like, um, oh well, it's not gay enough, you know, or like I, it's, it's like this, this, this goth woman and this goth, kid. it's like these two, a man, uh, you know, a woman and a queer man, like, uh, what is the movie poster? I don't know how to sell that, you know, Be- because back then, 20 years ago, pretty much anything with gay content was only sold to gay people, you know, like, um, right. you know, and we used to even David and I, you know, with edge of 17, and also Edge of 83, it's like, you, know, you always hoped that it would like what we used to call like cross over to like right. non queer audiences, but um, it pretty much never did then. And now, it's like a completely different world, you know. Like that, you know, you can find things like it's a sin, and you know, on on HBO and all these amazing shows that um are much more mainstream and not just you know on the uh, tucked away on the gay video store shelf or at a queer film festival. Um, but anyway, that, the, the Gypsy 83, like it, it just didn't, it wound up finding like a cult audience and it still has its fans, but it like commercially, it didn't fly in the way that I had hoped. And I remember getting a couple of, I don't know if reviewers like understand that sometimes they can like crush people, you know, mm-hmm. like it got this like toxic, horrible review and variety, which was like, so mean, you know, like, which I. I the movie it's like i was so sweet I'm, it wasn't like a masterpiece but it was a sweet film and it's like right. and, and it, you know the um i don't know it just it the way that it got received like hurt my feelings it like did a
0: number on you
1: did a number on me and it made me um really angry and and sort of feel rejected and i thought you want this not gay enough okay it's not gay enough huh you want something gay Okay, I'm gonna make the gayest fucking movie ever. Right. Made, you know, and I'm gonna actually think about what the movie poster is before I even write the script. Um, so that's where another gay movie came from. Um, and you know, there's still a lot of me in that film and I and I'm I, I it was a very rebellious film, you know, for right. me, but but I but I um but I love it, you know, but it wasn't it wasn't from from it, it's not that it wasn't from my heart, but it just wasn't the personal kind of like you right. know thing no, that like edge in some
0: ways like it, it wasn't it wasn't an autobiographical you know right right um, thing yeah it's, it's yeah it's a, it
1: wasn't like yeah and so um but then that did really well and then so i made a sequel and that didn't do as well you know so by the time that whole journey ended i just felt like i i was you know i made those two films because in a way i was like scared to like open myself up again and be vulnerable and make like a real Todd movie, (laughs) you know, like, you know what I mean? And, um, so honestly, it just took me like lots of therapy years of therapy and like, you know, trying to work on myself and, and all that to get up the courage to kind of like do, do that again because, uh, I just felt vulnerable and scared and, it was really hard making this film and I, and um, you know, somebody gave the, it's like the reviews have been so wonderful. And I know that the film is really resonating for people, but I just, the movie's opening, you know, today. And um, so I just saw somebody who I actually really respect, like gave it like a really bad review. And it's like, it's like, somehow you gotta like, I gotta just keep telling myself to like not take it personally.
0: Yeah. It's so hard though. Right. But I think, what, what you were talking about it comes across on screen it's full of feeling and it's full of poignance and is that a word or is it poignancy anyway um <laughs> i don't know i also want to compliment you on the font of your poster is that the valley of the dolls font
1: i'm not sure that's a good question i'll look into that it has yeah, that I'll,
0: kind of vibe
1: yeah i know that they whatever the font is i think they customized it and you oh, know nice. tweaked it a bit but i'm gonna look into that i love it too Yeah.
0: So Linda Evans has a a small but important role. What happened to the painting of Linda Evans? That it's hanging
1: in my apartment in New York City.
0: <laughs> Damn yeah. right it is.
1: Yes, yes, I yes, love yes, yes. it. Yes,
0: I love it. You so you picked a photo from from of Linda that you wanted to have a painting done, and there it is. Right,
1: her friend, um, her friend uh, Gary Craig um, is a painter, amazing painter, and. In uh Palm Springs, and as a friend of Linda's, and just uh did that. You know, we went through old. I wanted like a pre dynasty photo to base it on, like from yeah, more like was, Big like Valley like a... era. Yeah, what's that? Big, like Valley, Big Valley, right? Valley era. Big Valley era.
0: How did Linda Evans come to be in the film?
1: Um, Eve Battaglia and I, my casting director, were talking about who Rita Parker Sloan should be, and kind of as you said, it's a small role um but it's an important role because she's the whole plot kind of revolves around her character in a yeah. way
0: and what she represents to that town like exactly. sort of status beauty yeah society yeah and it's perfectly perfect casting
1: yeah um, but i mean i had re- we had remembered the um thing with rock hudson and dynasty in 1985 yes. when, when it came out that oh i forgot he had about AIDS. That. yeah and, and did um, they
0: kiss or did they not kiss and all of that oh and did God. she
1: get aids from him kissing her That's- and that you know that was like a big controversy because he was really one of the first um big celebrities to to publicly you know uh, announced that he had AIDS. Um, I remember and, um, it
0: very vividly. All Yeah. Yeah. Boundaries.
1: And so, yeah, it, it all happened right when the dynasty episode aired that they did where Linda Evans and he kissed like in the episode. So, you know, everyone was like saying that he gave her AIDS and all this. And Linda was just amazing spokesperson, even way back then in terms of educating, that's not how you get it. And, you know, and really standing up for him who was her friend. And, um, and so that was part of it. And, you know, I, I just adore her and Dynasty. And, um, you know, she's, so we got her the script and she responded She, you know, even she hadn't, she came out of retirement to do the movie. It's like she hasn't made a film in like 25 years and she didn't do it for the money. Obviously she's does, you know, she's doing all right,
0: yeah. but
1: it really touched her. So I was just felt really blessed that she did the film.
0: Um, You mentioned the more cigarettes that Mr. Pat smokes. Are they hard to find? Do they still exist?
1: They are hard to, hard to find. They're still made. Okay. But they're not advertised from what I understand. So it's like you can still, down. what's that?
0: You had to track some down. You
1: had to track them down. They're like in the bottom shelf tucked away in the corner just for all the people that still smoke them. And then probably once those people are gone, they'll stop making them.
0: The music you chose for the movie in terms of the set, the songs are so perfect. But like you got Dancing on My Own, Robin, and is it a J-Lo song that they're jumping rope to or Beyonce?
1: No, that's Amory. It's oh. called One Thing. But it was uh that was a hit. That was a hit right, song. Right.
0: I know that song, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Everybody thinks it's like um like Beyonce, but no, it's Amori Amory. Um, okay. Um, and well, um probably a
0: lot more affordable. Um
1: but, <laughs> yeah, it was,
0: but exactly. you're watching it going, I know the song. This is a hit song. Like Yeah. So yeah, well exactly. done with the music.
1: Thank you thanks no i was yeah i mean a lot of these songs were mr pat's favorite songs and i've had them like on a mixtape and then like a burnt cd and stuff um like
0: don't cry out loud. 17
1: days what's that
0: like don't cry out loud is a mr pat
1: don't, don't cry out loud and um mr pat's like theme song in real life was this is my life by sure the shirley Bassey song yes. where he's writing on the jazzy that's the only time i ever saw pat do drag And it was the best direct performance I've ever seen in my life. And it was to that song. So um, I've had these songs in my heart, Dusty Springfield and Judy Garland. And I've had these songs in my heart for many, many years. And um, it's just amazing that we wound up getting the rights to them. I think think Mr. Pat, like, you know, wherever he is, is like pulling the strings, you know. I was so
0: excited when the mom from Edge of Seventeen showed up. I, like, did the gay gasp, and she's so good.
1: Yeah, I know, I know. Stephanie McVeigh, she just um, has this reality and this heart that is just um, very unique to her, and uh, she's been in every single one of my films and always will be.
0: You do something with the movie, which is you're able to look at where gay culture has come and where we are through this story, and, and, like, at one point, Mr. Pat is looking at a gay couple with kids playing in the park, and going, look at this, I can't believe it. And then my favorite line in the movie, or the, my favorite exchange is, he says, I wouldn't even know how to be gay anymore. And his friend says, tell that to your pants suit. Mm-hmm. And I, I just laughed out loud both times I saw it. Mm-hmm. But it was a, this story is a great way to look at where we've come. Um, did you realize as you were writing, like, oh, this is another theme that I want to explore along with Pat's story.
1: Yeah, I <clears throat> I knew that I didn't want being gay to be like a conflict, like here's this, you know, flamboyant yeah. guy that's walking around and everybody's like giving him shit and you know. All yeah. Uh that, right? because that's not even the way it is in my town anymore. Um right. But it's almost like for Pat, someone who's probably been tucked away in a nursing home for 7 years and you know, hasn't he he hasn't been out in a long time. So he's He's back out seeing he's used to being marginalized and he's used to being part of that secret club that we all used to be part of that, you know, um, where we had to go to our safe spaces and the fruit and nut company to hold hands or dance with our boyfriends or else we would, could get killed. You know, I mean, and um, and, and Pat, I, I think maybe comes out like expecting that world to still be that way. Right. And um, and it isn't. And it's almost like being gay is so normal now in many ways that like I think to someone like Pat, that almost like freaks him out a little bit. You know, it's like almost like, wow, you know, how do I fit into this? This It's just not my experience. How do I fit into this? I think he's happy about it, but he's also it's bittersweet because he's also somewhat resentful to some extent that that will obviously never be his life. You know, right. his life is almost over. So, and so he it's, paved it's,
0: the way for it. What's that? He paved the way for it by being. But he paved like, the way, uh, but
1: he doesn't even know it. You know, yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't really know it.
0: And then there's a gay bar that's closing, and yeah, Mr. pat says, "Where will we dance?" And I was like, "Oh, oh, oh!" Know, you know,
1: I know. I know. It's, yeah. it's true, though. We're, you know, it's like right. it's amazing that, uh, as his friend Eunice says in the film. Um, who needs the fruit and nut when they can hold hands at Applebee's, you know, right. and uh, not that anyone would want an Applebee's, but whatever. But, but, um, but, um, these places are, are becoming extinct, you know, that yeah. they're going out of business all, all over the place because I, you know, we all know, you know, it's just a variety of factors and it, you know, you, you can be yourself, not everywhere, but in a lot of places without being in that cocoon uh, um, of queer space. And um, I don't know, it's amazing in a way that we don't need those places as much, but it's also really sad because kind of going back to what I was saying before, there was a family, you know, the gay community in so many small towns, big towns, it was like, we had to come together and, um, and we were tight and we were like a, a, a beautiful chosen family, um, that is now melting, you know, and sort of becoming fragmented. Um, that's not true everywhere, but it is in my hometown, you know, there's still a gay bar sort of They have drag shows, but it's not, it's not the same. And in the, in the, the gay community is not the cohesive family that it used to be. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, it's beautiful and sad at the same time.
0: Yeah. Um, you write, thank you, Thorna, at the end of the movie on the credits. Who's that?
1: Thorna is, um, we were staying in my brother and my sister-in-law's house. That was, um, the, the, I'm glad you asked that, was um, their, their, uh, my sister-in-law's grandmother, who, who was the local um, witch in my hometown, who was also a member of the yacht club and everything. And she would have society ladies come and she would read their tea leaves, you know? Oh, wow. And she ran this bed and breakfast, you know, like almost like an anti-mame kind of character yeah. in my hometown. And so, um, all of these things. Ca- so we were shooting the, we Udo and I were living in that house, the scene where, uh, when the coffin with Linda Evans and stuff was shot, like right in the next room to Udo's bedroom in that house, while we, so there was like this whole funeral setup. When we were like, they're sleeping for several. Yeah, months.
0: you were living there. Wow. Yeah, okay.
1: but um, but all of these magical things kept happening, and um, Thorna was like a clairvoyant, and you know, kind of like spoke to the other side. And I honestly felt, and, you know, you could laugh, or this sounds corny, or whatever, but I love this stuff. I, I honestly felt like she was a conduit to, you know, here we were in my hometown making a film about dead people, you know, Mr. Pat's gone. David's gone. So many of his friends are gone. Oh, you know, a lot of my friends that when I, when I came out, um, Shell Martin, Dan Sandani, you know, like so many of my friends died of AIDS even in a little town like Sandusky. Right. And um, I, you know, we, we were paying homage to them and I, and I f- I felt them, you know, like I I felt I felt like I was like rousing the the dead in a way, and, and the, rousing the spirits, and um I I in some sort of corny way, like I felt like Thorna since she was like a connection to to that other side, and um I don't know, I can't explain it. It was just a it was just a feeling, but I it's like it's ridiculous, but I also know it's true.
0: <laughs> That's wonderful and really yeah. interesting. Yeah, something, even just watching it, there's something really special and alive about it. Um, I think Udo and the film deserve award consideration, and it's one of those ones that I hope everyone sends around when the screeners and all that stuff are going around. Thank you. But I've also observed this thing where the gay movies that do well in the award circuit try to not get any gay on them until it's too late, you know, like they premiere they're the moonlights they're the call me by there's a strategy that happens they're not at outfest they're not Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's almost like they want to tell the world or the film community or the voter people we're not in that they don't want to be in that ghetto or whatever right this is something i relate to in my own work sometimes i feel like in terms of the overall industry that because what I might rewrite about is gay, it's not even a script, it's like a lamp. It's like it's it's something else. Um yeah. I'm not sure what my question is, but I hope that this finds a lot of awards, buzz, and love, and I think it deserves it. And any thoughts you have about what I just said?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I totally, totally know what you mean. Um I'm lucky that with this one that um, I have this really great distributor uh, called Magnolia Pictures, and yeah, um, and
0: the 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 list of cities that you're playing, I was like, post pandemic, yeah. this is amazing.
1: Yeah, thank you. But we have, you know, it's it's sad that we weren't able to play Outfest because they're literally opening like a week or two before um, the festival starts. Yeah, but Outfest did a. Um, uh, but they've been playing queer festivals all summer ever since they acquired it. And I made it really clear to them, you know, I want to play queer festivals and, um, and, and they, they were so a hundred percent down with doing that, you know? So a lot of them were virtual because of COVID. Right. Which, that's how I know, first saw it. At yeah. But it's played at new fast and just and all, all over the place. Um, Frameline, you know, it's done all of those festivals and, um, I know what you mean. I don't, yes, yeah, like they don't want to, they, they want to. I, I imagine there are some
0: later. people in Hollywood that would look at your movie and based on the quality and saying, okay, we got an awards movie here. Let's not go to the gay festivals because it. Well, oh, that's just, sad.
1: That's just sad. But, 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 because, right? And yeah. so
0: um, it's a bummer.
1: Yeah. I know. I know. I agree. Yeah. But we didn't do it that way, you know, and, and they didn't want to, but I was also really clear. I mean, I come from the gay festival. That's my people. Those yeah. are my people. Those are my people. Yeah. You know, what's weird though. You know, what's really interesting is that because I haven't, there haven't been any gay festivals that have been in person that, well, that invited me to it, that I had a chance to go there. Like the times that I have seen it in person, like, um, the irony Dennis of all this is like the times i have seen it in person at other festivals it was mostly not gay audiences that were there you know it was like young young kind of like hip you know whatever and and who's to know who's queer or not these days you know what i mean that's like another whole thing but but it's like um i'm actually longing like i always had the fantasy of showing this movie at the castro you know cuz like yes. that's some of the best uh experiences that i've ever had with my films but you know, the Castro is not open right now. Or, you know, I don't know. It's like, I, so I haven't gotten that experience to see it with the audience that I made it about. Right. So like, I'm, I'm still like longing for that moment, but I I think that audience still exists. I I don't know, but you know, things have changed in the 12 years since I last put a movie out and it's just, it's just a bit of a different world. So.
0: Yeah. I think that's interesting. Um, When you you came out of the gate with Edge of Seventeen and stuff like that, were you ever really angling for a Hollywood career where I like I want them to I want them to hire me to do a Lindsay Lohan movie or whatever it is? You know what I mean? Or were you always like I want to make my things in my way and I'm not I'm not gonna chase that?
1: Yeah, I never was interested in that. I mean, like at a certain point, I thought like Do I move to LA or do I stay in New York? You know what I mean? And then and um. No, I'd rather do the, you know, so I decided to stay in New York and, you know, make the films that I want to make and, and like, and teach, you know, to help me pay the rent kind of thing.
0: Sure. Um,
1: so, you know, I'm not, <laughs> probably not going to be getting rich, you know, anytime soon, but, but, but I don't care. I, you know, it's like, I, that's not why mo- many of us are doing this. You know, it's like, I, I'm doing what I want, trying to say what I want to say. And Yeah. Uh, and I have no regrets about that at all. I love it.
0: What do you love about teaching
1: um, seeing kids discover how to make films and collaborate and work together, you know um uh yeah, like the moment that they figure out how to start talk to an actor and and having an actor do something in a scene that they're shooting that like you know, surprises them and they get that look on their face, like, wow, you know, like, um, yeah, just seeing, I get really close to my students and I teach like first, second year, first year, third year, and and I'm a thesis advisor. So by the time um, they graduate, some of them I know really well. And it's just incredible to see having taught them in first year production and, you know, what they have seen you know what the answer is it's like seeing them find their voice, you know yeah. like like from from first year through you know the four years of college so by the time that they're um I try to encourage them, guys, write what you know, tell your secrets, you know, like take your quoting Carrie Fisher, take your broken heart and turn it into art that's the most like um that's the most resonant stuff, and a lot of times you know when you're eighteen years old and you're just coming into film school you know, a lot of people aren't ready to do that. I, I wasn't uh, at that time, but, 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 you know, over the next like four years, they they get that courage to really express themselves ultimately. And that, that's the, my biggest joy is like helping them in some small way, try to unlock themselves.
0: Yeah. Tell people how they can see your movie.
1: Well, um, it's opening this weekend, um, which is, um, uh, it's opening today. Oh, God, I'm going to start getting nervous. <laughs> Very no. exciting.
0: It's so yeah, exciting.
1: I know. Yeah, it's opening today in like um, 50, uh, 30 or 40 cities. And then, um, you know, New York, L.A., um, San Francisco, Cleveland, Sandusky, my hometown, which is like the one I'm probably most excited about. And um, then, you know, next week it opens in more cities. And hopefully if it does well, uh, it'll it'll you know, get booked to more markets, but it's opening uh, today is August 6th today. And then, um, a week from today on August 13th, it starts on demand. I do encourage people to see it in the theater if they can. Some (laughs) of it, I understand that, um, COVID and all that, I get it. Some people are not ready for that, but, um, it really is more fun to see it, you know, with an audience. And, uh, but, um, If you can't, yeah, have a Mr. Pat party and and, uh, rent it on demand with your friends. And um, yeah, so it'll be like on things like Amazon and iTunes and stuff um, uh, starting on August 13th on demand.
0: Love it. Um, I have this app on my phone called One Second Every Day and you record a second of video and they let you do a second and a half sometimes, whatever. So when I first watched the movie, there's one line in your movie that was so funny to me. And kind of surprising, like out of nowhere that I'm like, okay, I'm going to make that my one second. So I just got my camera and I shot the the, the computer screen as I was watching it. And it's the line where um, he get, he's in the beauty salon and says, Irma, don't miss shit. That mm-hmm. the line, Irma, don't mm-hmm. miss shit. Uh, mm-hmm. I, the listeners are like, I don't know what you're talking about, whatever. There was something about his delivery of this line. It was a very sweet moment. And he just undercuts it with this kind of funny thing. Um, what are the moments that you were super
1: taken aback by what he did or how he did something?
0: Um, hmm. I also really enjoyed his body language in the movie. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that just popped into my head is when um, the scene you were talking about with Stephanie McVeigh, um, when you know, he visits a thrift store that she works at and, um, she gets him to try on this fabulous, um, mint green suit. Yes. And the moment that he opens the curtain and he walks out and he steps into the mirror, um, I don't know how he did it. I mean, Udo is so beautiful and, you know, he's beautiful now, but when he was young, was very, you know, just stunningly gorgeous. And it's like, I see that young boy in in the face in his face somehow you know like in that reflection in the mirror it's like he he's like young again he's you know and um oh. that that was one one moment that just, uh, just always kind of gets me um a lot of it's just the quiet moments you know like and I just I just see new things every time I watch the movie like you know little subtle things that that he does that that just i don't know you're just with him, it's just you know we we, we just didn't want to like we want, we didn't rehearse and we wanted to kind of keep it natural and in the moment, and it's just like one of the most naturalistic performances that i've of, uh, you know that i've had the privilege to direct and um yeah, i just it's hard to pick just one, but yeah, yeah,
0: I love it well, Armand yeah. don't miss it um, yeah. congrats again on the film. I really loved it. And I'm inspired by your journey and that you made it happen. Do you think there's a takeaway from your story from the Odyssey of this film?
1: For for me, kind of like Mr. Pat, it's like it's just realizing life is short, you know, and um and it goes by fast. And for me, somebody who's now in my fifties, you know, it's like, it almost seems like it's going by faster than, you know, as, as it goes along. Wow. So every moment is precious, you know, um, as long as you're here and breathing, like live your best life. And um, that, that's what Mr. Pat does in the film. And that's what like I tried to do by making it. So I, I want to try to like keep reminding myself that. You know, it's like, life is short. Dance while you can.
0: I love it. We're going to leave it there. Todd, thank you so much. I'm so inspired by the movie and and your journey in making it. So congrats and good luck with everything.
1: Thank you, Dennis. Um, Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks again to Todd Stevens. Check out his movie, Swan Song. You're going to love it. I know I did. All right, so this happened. Uh, I think the last time I did this, I talked about the What's Up doc screening that I went to, um, where Peter Bogdanovich did the Q&A. Well, I also went to a clueless screening with my friend Glenn uh, a week or a week so ago, I guess, and um, Alicia Silverstone was there for a Q&A, and Amy Heckerling zoomed in and was big on the screen, which was great. So the movie, I don't know if I've seen it in years, but... It's just delightful, and it was fun to hear from the two of them. I interviewed Alicia like three or four times during those years when that was happening. Before then, and then with Clueless for, I think I did, I know I did Detour a couple of times. I think I did Seventeen. Like, there were a few different magazines I interviewed her for. Um, I remember her being very sweet and also just young, you know, and she was working so hard at the time, and that's something she sort of talked about with Clueless. She had just been moving, making movies back to back to back, and, um, and Clueless was another movie, albeit a very special one. Um, Amy Heckerling talked about how she had originally written it, I think perhaps for television, and then then expanded it out to be a film, but it was sort of languishing, and Scott Rudin at Paramount kind of saw the potential of it and and was instrumental in making it happen, so I just read a big, long article about Scott Rudin in New York Magazine. I love an expose about a monster. I, I can't... To me, they're like Christmas. Like, give me a 7,000-word article on some asshole finally, you know, finally being shown the, the light, um, and I'm just, like, happy as a clam sitting at my Starbucks reading about it. But, um... But one of the points this article makes is that, you know, a lot of good projects and a lot of great artists got bolstered by his work. So, I don't know. Both things can be true. He can make good movies and be a nightmare. Um, So, I don't know what we do with that. But, um, what else did I learn about Clueless that was there? Um, I learned that when the character of Cher, Alicia Silverstone, says... Hadians in her speech at the beginning that that was just the way she thought it was pronounced it wasn't a bit she was doing and Amy Heckerling was like don't anybody tell her just let her keep saying Hadeans um, she's so good in that movie Alicia so good um, I asked a question to the Q&A which is in the movie Cher smokes pot at the party and I'd forgotten about that and I was like I asked if that was a thing did anyone care and they said no, that, that they didn't really care. So nobody raised a flag about that. But I did think that was interesting because it was certainly a different time than it is now in terms of pot. As you can tell, my voice and my... I sound weird. I woke up with this weird thing. I don't know. I'm getting a COVID test today. I don't think it's COVID, but we'll see. Anyway, movies are wonderful. They make life worth living. Go see them. Enjoy them. And I'll catch you next time i Dennis Anyone. Bye!